Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. Well, take your, take your Bible and turn to uh, the doctor's gospel. Uh, we're going to look uh, in our study today, Dr. Uh, Dr. Luke in chapter 8. And uh, we have the joy of, uh, of continuing through this. So we said before that chapters 8 and 9, uh, by God's grace, uh, God uh, directed Dr. Luke. He mixes uh, the miracles of Jesus and the teaching with Jesus. I'll remind you that, remember, Luke is writing to uh, convince uh, Theophilus, chapter 1, the first couple verses there, of the certainty of who this Jesus is. And aren't we glad of that? Here, 20 centuries later, we go like, who is Jesus? And we turn to Dr. Luke and we see, oh, this is who he is. We're going to see a little more of that as he unveils that, even even this morning in our text. I've entitled it, Lunatic in the Graveyard. <laughs> Lunatic in the Graveyard. That's a silly title, but it fits. I have to tell you, you spend a lot of time with the text, you're like, Lord, what is the title? Titling is very hard to do, you know. It's not easy. You know, Leah Coca said that's the hardest thing when you make a brand new car is what are you going to name it? You know, sometimes you give a nice car and you give it the wrong name. Nobody wants that thing, right? There was some car they named, somebody named it. Nova, yeah, and down in, in Mexico, Nova meant what? Won't go. Won't go, yeah. See what I mean? It's really important. <laughs> you don't want a sermon that won't go. That's no good. So you have to, you know, <laughs> Lord, help me. Lunatic in a graveyard. You know, we live in a world where people don't believe in change. I'm not talking change in dollars, dollars and cents. I mean change, true change. They really don't. They believe, really, and it's, it's brainwashing in the schools and in the culture that we came from nowhere, we really shouldn't be here, and you're nothing more than an advanced tadpole. Did you know that? Some of you sort of look that way today. Like, <laughs> it's kind of slimy and swimming and something. I don't, I'm not sure what. But, uh, and so you're just nothing more than the results of uh, your environment, and uh, your genes, and that's it, and, you know, and uh, that's it, and you are who you are, and that's who you are, and uh, we're going to discover that that is not the truth. Don't you believe that for a moment? We need to hear that. You know, I'm not the man that I once was, and there's a sense of the gospel. I know we talk about Jesus saves, but the word Greek word sozo really means wholesome, too, you know. There's a sense of the gospel where where God finds a man or woman or boy or girl, he apprehends them. God does it. It's all his work from beginning to end, right? We're running far and fast away, hiding among the trees. We're Adam and Eve, right? He saves us, and we go like, praise God, you know, like I'm, I, my sins are atoned for. Wow, isn't that great? He cleans our hearts and our conscience. Isn't that great? You can sleep at night. Don't have to have one eye open. Who's going to get me, you know? No. Isn't that great? But there's an essence of it where more than just the penalty of your sin, as great as that is in our hope of heaven, 
He makes us whole. There's a wholesomeness in the gospel. What's that mean? Well, you see, sin has a ravaging effect upon us. We're born in sin and we sin. That's what sinners do. And it makes us less than what God desires us to be. You and I know of that. We know, I know it in my own life. You know it in your life. We take this brain that God has given, a wonderful thing, far, more, far greater than any computer, greater than your Apple computer, your iPad or whatever you, you think you have. It, far greater than that, far greater. It's, the brain is so great, they still don't know exactly how it works. It's a marvelous thing. I often think of that. I told Faith, you, you walk in the Starbucks, I can take a quick glance around. Nope, don't know anybody here. Isn't that amazing how the mind, you look around, and, oh, you, and it, you register faces, and you go like, you, you, it's amazing. It's amazing. And God made us perfect. and We fell into sin through Adam and Eve. And the, and the effects of sin take us downward, and sometimes down to the very bottom of the barrel. And when the grace of God finds a man or woman, finds you. Not only does he pay for the penalty, he begins to renew you. I love Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation. Behold, the old is gone. Behold, everything's new. New in kind. That's what that means. Not new in order. Kindness. New in kind. And God takes you and and, and builds me and makes us into the image of Christ. And something that'll be complete. And we're going to see that in our account here today of a man who had the ravages of sin like few people. But you're in the picture and so am I. I'm there. I'm standing there. We talk about lunatic in the graveyard. You know what? That's really all of us. Until Christ finds us, we're really out of our right mind. We're not in the mind that God gave us. We are hostile to, to God, at war with him. And we love the things he hates, and we hate the things he loves. Our mind is warped against him. We live in the earth. You know, the earth is a graveyard. It is. Pockmarked with the cemeteries of the dead that have gone and where we will be, our bodies anyway. And so really, apart from Christ, we are all lunatics in the graveyard. Don't, when we read the text, just don't say, oh, that poor guy there. That's us. You're in the picture here, and so am I. It just jumps right out of the text to me. Uh, wow, it's an amazing text. It's an amazing account. It's a, it has some strangeness. has some mystery with it. But then life is filled with mystery, isn't it? We can't figure it all out. Can you figure it all out? I can. I can. I don't remember two and two. Two and two is four. I can do that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, pi, 3.14. Yeah, I can still remember that. <laughs> 186,000 miles per speed of light in a vacuum, right? Anyway, but not too much beyond that. A lot of times I can't remember my Social Security number. I have to cheat and look at my wallet. No, you guys don't. Lunatic in a grave. Let's uh, take your Bible. Look at Luke 8. Uh, today, as I said in the introduction, uh, it's common belief that people do not change. Often it's said we're nothing more than the sum total of nature and nurture. Nature, right? Nature, that's the genes and the propensity you were born with. And every one of us are different. Our granddaughters were here, now they're back. And uh, a huge difference between the one, Taylor, and Harper. Very different. 
Taylor's all over the place. She just doesn't know a stranger. Uh, we'll say to Harper, Harper, say hi. Grammy will say that. Harper, say hi. She hangs her head. <laughs> will not say hi. Very different. And we're all different. That's the, uh, that's the nature. The nurture is all the experiences that happen to us. And they mold us and so on. And, uh, and so in a deterministic mindset, they go, oh, that's all you are. And that's all you'll ever be. Nature and nurture and like uh, what's, wet and drying cement. And uh, that's what you'll be. Once a pervert, always a pervert. You'll see that. Every week in the paper, it's amazing. Uh, the perversion of sin that people are arrested for. Child pornography and all that kind of, I just, it blows my mind. It's, it's not getting better. I pray for revival. Once a pervert, always a pervert. Throw the key away. That He'll never change. Remember Ted Bundy? God wonderfully uh, saved that man. I was, I'll never forget, before they executed him down in Florida, his interview with Dobson was amazing. God changed him. But the world says, once a pervert, always a pervert. Once a drunk, always a drunk. Once a murderer, always a murderer. So on, as if somehow they're different than me. They're bad, I'm good. You know, people talk like that, don't they? It's kind of silly. In a world where they reject God, there's no such thing as good and bad, but they don't think that deeply. If there is no God and there's no reason why we'll be here, there's no such thing as good. Think about that one today. But they're, they're the same. There's no difference. That's, and then, uh, incidentally, welcome to Hinduism. That's Hinduism. It doesn't matter. Just, uh, you just have to do something. You can hurt the old lady as she walks across the street, or you can help her across. It doesn't matter. There's no value yet. No difference. Now tell that to your friends that say, well, there's really no difference between any of the religions. Aren't they all the same? No, they're not. I was so sorry to see this week uh, Rob Bell. How many of you know of Rob Bell? What a terrible thing. Faith and I heard Rob preach down in Atlanta years ago. Young man, big church in, uh, in Michigan. And uh, the Wall Street Journal had a, had a piece on him the other day, and I couldn't believe it. As John MacArthur uh, alerted a number of years ago, he is wandering from the faith. And in his own writings, he's apostatized now. He, doesn't, he believes in universalism. I warn your friends not to buy his books and read that stuff. Wow. Mm. Well, if the Bible tells us anything, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, let me say, true change is impossible. Some of you are going to wonder what that blank is. That's our world. But if the Bible tells us anything, and it does, it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Everything. We'd like more, but God says, no, I've given you everything you need. Read it, chew on it, memorize it, meditate, live it. And the Bible tells us anything. It tells us that change is possible. True change. God is in the change business. That's what salvation is. I see it in my own life. I'm not what I once was. I'm thankful the grace of God visited me. I hate to see what I would have been. See, some of you are saying amen, you know. It's true. And the same thing's true with you. I even see it in my own family, in my bigger family, where some have come to saving faith in Christ, and some have still not yet. Huge difference in their life. Huge. So at my mother's family, my mother and her brother, 
mother was the oldest, her brother Larry, were wonderfully saved and raised their children and things of the Lord. And not that everything was hunky-dory, okay? But the other two in her family, for, and you can't believe the difference. It's enormous what made the difference, the grace of God, the sovereignty of God. But God is in the change. He's saving. He's making whole, wholesome through, the, through canceling the penalty of sin through his son on the cross. True change. And that's what we're going to see today. God is in that business, and he still is. I'm grateful. Dr. Luke today will show us the authority that Jesus has over the destructive forces of evil. Where he tells us of the amazing authority of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' authority is over disease, right? Take up your bed and walk. We saw that. And then how about last time? Over uh, nature? How about that? The drama of the, of the calming of the sea. Wakes up. There he is, all man. Stands up. Next verse, the divinity, the God-man, speaks to the storm. I'd like to see you do that in your backyard. Your neighbors will call the... You know, and you'll be they'll, you'll off to happy land is where you're going. <laughs> but when you're almighty God standing in a boat and he speaks, he has authority over the inanimate creation. It's under his authority. Even in this humiliation, they're, uh, they're in the boat. Wow, over nature. Over demons. He already cast out a demon. We saw that earlier. Now it's going to be multiple. And even death. The day Jesus stopped the funeral, we saw that. The widow at Nain reunited her and her son. A picture of the coming reunion with all of God's people. Isn't that great? I mean, there they are, making the parade out to the cemetery, and they meet Jesus walking in, and he stops it. He's the only one that could. Only one. We've seen horses going and the lights on going to the cemetery every, every week. You know, in the world, 150,000 people die every day. 150,000. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Wow. Well, there are two observations we want to make, just two, of Jesus healing this wretched man, this lunatic, drawing us to trust him as Savior and Lord. For Jesus has power, has power over evil forces, and he transforms the life of this crazy man. Let's, uh, let's read the account. I'm in uh, Luke chapter 8. And pick it up at verse 26. It goes through 39. And get the, uh, get the narrative here. Then they, that's Jesus and the disciples, and I remind you, they're coming off that storm that he just calmed. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time, notice that, he wore no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of God, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. And he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. 
And Jesus then asked him, what is your name? Let me stop there. R.C. Sproul suggests this is like, um, uh, did you ever wrestle, guys, when you were young, your brothers or your cousin or someone or your father had you on a, and he held you down to you said, uncle, uncle, say uncle. And you, a lot of you like me, I will never say uncle. Oh, you just said it. Ah, you know, <laughs> uncle, uncle, uncle. And then let you up. It's a statement of submission. For the authority to say, tell me your name. It's like saying, say uncle. And that's what Jesus is saying to this demon. It shows his authority. Let's pick it up. And, and uh, the demon said, my name is Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. That's the realm of the dead and judgment. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting. Look at that. Sitting. Look at that. What a change. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Imagine that, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country said the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and he returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Notice that? Jesus said, Tell what God had done. He went and told what Jesus had done. It's a great statement of divinity of our Lord. Well, there are two observations, real simple. It really unfolds in two parts, and, and it's really this. Uh, Jesus does this miracle, the, uh, the expelling of this uh, demon named Legion, and the second part is the varied uh, response to that miraculous healing. That's really what Luke presents here. In verses uh, 26 to 33, then, we see the first observation, Jesus alone is man's only hope. Only Jesus. He is the hope for the hopeless. For no one could help this man, nobody. The man couldn't even help himself. Hopeless. Maybe you came in this morning and you've had a, a tough week. You're just like, I'm hopeless. You know, that happens, you know, in a broken world. I'm here to tell you there's good news for you. The message of God's word is there's hope for the hopeless. You say, I can't help myself. We can't. We're helpless. We're puny, small, and frail. Immortal, subject to death. We don't live that long. Jesus is hope for the hopeless. Whatever your brokenness, whatever your fears are, whatever your needs are, he is, he is it. He's the answer to it. Don't miss that. That's, that's, you, can't, you can't read this without seeing this. Well, note the setting. Jesus and the disciples had just come through the storm. 
Can I remind you? They made it across the sea. Can I remind you? Jesus said, we're going across. They got a little nervous because the storm came up, don't we? They weren't little fairies in the boat. These were hardened fishermen, four of them. You know, like, oh, it's tipsy out here. We're a little nervous. Uh-uh. They were going down. But Jesus said earlier, we're going over. You know what? You can always trust Jesus' word, always. You know, I, I want to make my word ever faithful. You know, uh, as sinners, it's not. But God changes us, develops us. So we're always truth-speaking. But when you're Almighty God, like the Lord Jesus, and he always speaks, we're going over, you can count on it. You can always count on the faithfulness of God's word. Always. And there they are. Jesus jumps out of the boat. There, What's the issue? I told you we're going over. There you go. You can always count on it. Well, they're immediately met by two. uh, Matthew tells this account. Luke tells it in Mark. And so when you look at all, you get sometimes different pieces and you put it together. There were two men that met them. They were not the welcome wagon. You'll see in a minute here. Some of you moved into town and they showed up with a basket full of coupons and maps and all that, little goodies and all that. This is not the Garrison welcome wagon. This is, <laughs> this is like ferocious time. Who's coming here? Look, Ma, we may have dinner, you know. I don't know what they were thinking, but it was a tough situation. But the Lord, uh, and it's by his appointment. Remember, he's sovereign. He crossed the lake. They're outside of Israel now. They're in Gentile land, the Gerasenes. We know that. They're, they got all these pigs. One thing Faith and Al Miskel went to Cutter is, uh, is uh, they don't have bacon there. <laughs> there a lot of bacon went, went running off into the sea here. <laughs> and they weren't crying because they were missing that, but there's something else we'll talk about. But um, they're in Gentile land. You know, to the Jews, the pig is unclean by Levitical law, right? But... Uh, it's a Gentile land. Jesus had a point. He's going to go over. And he's met by these two men. They're demented men. They're out of their right mind. And Luke is only going to focus on one of them. Well, this man that we read in the text is nearly in the worst condition that anyone could ever imagine. I mean, what, what a sight. Do you think he had a haircut? Do you think he was clean shaven? No, he smelled. Running around naked. For a long time. Scary. Listen, I go into the Y and I work out several times a week, and some of those men that parade around, it's scary for me. <laughs> scary. Some of those men bring their little kids in there. I go, like, don't do it. They'll have nightmares. I can't imagine this. And these guys, you know, years. It's the effect of sin. Do you see it? It's the downward effect of sin in people's life. God clothed Adam and Eve in the garden, and one of the effects of sin is men have been stripping off their clothing ever since. I'm glad for clothing, aren't you? Amen. (laughs) Holy cow. That here, if you're like there, like, oh, I can't look. (laughs) Lord, help. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, that's another sermon. We'll do that another day. (laughs) I don't want to begin to think down there. His life, can we say, was a living hell. He was someone's mama. He was, I'm sorry, he had a mama somewhere. He was someone's little boy who grew up. 
I often think of that when I see indigents on the streets in the city or you go down to Baltimore and people begging for money. You know, I think that was somebody's little boy at one point. Oh, Lord, what happened there? That was so when you see a street woman pushing a cart. That's someone's little girl. I mean, do you think like that? Or you just go like, ah, you kind of step on the other side. I don't know. I don't know how you handle it, but I, when we go down, we tip, I typically take a little extra money. I give, I give those people. You know, I can't, I can't harden my... I need it more than they do. I don't want to just walk by them. I, I don't know if they're using booze or what they're doing. They may, but they may buy a hot dog with it too, you know. The effect of sin and the ravages of it are huge. Think of that. This man is he's the picture of it. The downward spiral. This is what sin does to us. It demands us. It warps us. It debases us. It robs us of the dignity and the worth and the value that God made us. And we're made in His image. Do you see that? I see it everywhere I look. The effects of it. I've felt the effects in my own life when I've not done, always done that which is right. The effects of it and the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the sorrow and the loss and the death that it brings. Well, he's naked. He's been that way for years. He's deranged. He's living in a graveyard. Demented. He's screaming. You know, sometimes you'll... I don't know if you ever heard different screeches and screams. Sometimes some of you in medical have worked in hospitals and there are sometimes certain wards and, and you wonder, is that the demon possession? What is that? And the screeching and the screaming, and st- it's just scary. It's scary. This, he, this was this man. Uh, dangerous. They tried to restrain him. One of the gospels says, no one had even passed by. They were afraid they were going to get that get killed or beat up or something. He's a lunatic as is. He's out of his right mind. He's more animal-like than man. He's perhaps like Nebuchadnezzar when in pride, God said, seven years, buddy, out in the woods, you're going to be like an animal. You're going to, you think you did it? I did it. You robbed me of glory seven years. I'm going to let you go think about it till you repent. That's this man. That's the effect of sin. That's sin in your life and mine. Furthermore, we see the townspeople tried to bind him. They were trying to help him. But he had this supernatural, demonic strength. He'd tear off the ropes and the chains. and Demon possession. Nothing to fool with. And a lot of times in our days, we, we fall off two ways. We, we underemphasize the, uh, the spiritual forces of evil. Oh, they don't exist. Oh, blah, 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 blah. They don't, we pretend they're not there. We do. Be careful of that. We wrestle against spiritual forces of wickedness. So don't ignore it. The other side is we overemphasize it. We shirk our responsibility. Well, the devil made me sin. or the de- No, you did it. You did it. The devil didn't make you do it. You know? So be careful on that. It's really there. Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Throw your horoscope garbage out. It's all wrong anyway. Ouija boards, all that garbage, get rid of it. Get all that occult. You should not have any junk in your house. Nothing. Don't toy with it. Don't at all. It's blackness. It's darkness. Well, that's him. He would even hurt himself in Mark 5.5. 5. 
He was a danger to himself. He was desperate. He was a desperate man. The effect of sin in his life for a long time. Well, that's Satan's aim, isn't it? To dominate, to distort, destroy a person. Oh, he loves doing that. He loves doing that. He does. He'll destroy people. He'll hinder us. You know, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He'll do that. Don't give uh, any, any place to him. This man did and was totally occupied. Notice when, when Satan comes and he, he enslaves, he robs of dignity. Where the Spirit of God comes in, there's liberty and freedom and dignity and cleansing and wholeness. It's just the opposite. Light and darkness. We shouldn't be surprised by that, should we? These demons always oppose the glory of God. Ephesians 6.12. Well, this is a picture of our wretched condition outside of Christ, isn't it? The effect of sin. It, and I've given you a few things here. It exposes us naked in our guilt. You know, we're, we're guilty. We're legally guilty. Some people's hearts are so callous, they go like, I don't feel guilty. You're like, you know, like you're driving the car and you exceed this. I don't feel guilty. Everyone else is doing it. I don't feel guilty. But we are guilty legally. And then beyond that, the feelings of guilty. If you have a conscience that's in good working order, and incidentally, that's a very valuable thing. That's one of the reasons to keep your heart clean every day, so you keep your conscience in well-working order. It's like an alarm system that goes off. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. it it's, it's a gift of God. You know your dog doesn't have that. He'll go steal the neighbor's bone and not feel badly about it at all. <laughs> I got your bone, you know. <laughs> Doesn't matter at all. But you go steal his Tonka trunk. I did that when I was a little boy. I took, I took Brian, uh, no, George Bergasser's truck home. Yeah, oh boy. I still got to feel that spanking I got from my father. <laughs> uh, it, 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 going on, it's not right. It's, it's George's, you know. Want to keep that right every day. It alienates us from others. Doesn't sin do that? Divides homes, families, marriages, neighbors. He's living out away from the community. Sin divides. It alienates. It separates even a man from himself. The effect of sin. It makes us violent. How about that? Remember the first one born of Adam and Eve? Killed his brother. No wonder we're in a heap of trouble. That's what anger is, incidentally. It's murder. It's the sin of murder. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, if you say rock and you have anger, you really, given the right circumstance, if you knew no one would know, you'd grab by the throat and kill him. That's the end result of anger. All right, here he is, violent, spiritually walking as though dead uh, among the dead. Ephesians 1, uh, 2, 1 to 3. Uh, we live as dead in the cemetery of this earth. Wow. Well, E, the demon knows Jesus, doesn't he? He knows him. He knows him. You know, the demons know Jesus. A lot of people in universities and even in pulpits today and in our name, you know, what Jesus? I don't want Jesus. I you know, the demon world knows him. And they fear. James 2 tells us that. They know him. They know, and they know there's an appointed day coming and they're going to be judged. He was thinking it was that day. Uh, that day. There's a day that's appointed already. Do you know that God is a God of history? He's sovereign and he's laid it all. He's, uh, your life has as many days as you got. And God's not saying, well, I didn't know that Terry's going to be here today. 
I didn't know. God never said I didn't know. He lays it all out. All your days. He's ordained your gifts, your works, and the things that you and I do for his glory. I don't know how he does that, but he does that. And here we live 20 centuries after the resurrection of Jesus as God builds his church, and you're a part of it if you know him. Amazing. It's amazing. Wow. Well, the demon knows Jesus, knows his authority. He's terrified. He's terrified. There's a certain day when God will judge the fallen angels. God is sovereign. There are many, many demons present. What is your name, he says? Legion. Now, in the Roman army, and they were a ferocious military group. Ferocious. A Roman legion had 6,000 soldiers in it. 6,000. So does that mean 6,000 fallen angels, demons were in this man? Maybe. We're not told. Is it figurative, meaning there's a whole lot of us here? Could be. Some suggest, because the other gospel account says 2,000 pigs. Now that's a pig farm. Indiana, we live near one. Ho, ho, ho. Faith and I, ho, 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 ho. Man, that stinks. And when the wind would blow, 2,000 pigs. Some suggest there were 2,000 demons. One went into each pig. We don't know. I'd like to know that, but we don't know that. A whole lot of, of, of demons occupied. Spurgeon suggests maybe Satan watching very intently the incarnation. Oh, God, and... Man, uh, and then and, and saw that pattern and sort of duplicated that during this titanic period of human history when Jesus was on earth, because there's an unusual lot of demonic activity during that time, said, I, I think we'll do the same thing and put uh, fallen uh, demons, fallen demons into the hearts and souls and lives of people there in the nation of Israel at that point. That still happens today, but boy, there was a lot of that at that point. And so it may be. Spurgeon may be right on that. Well, the, this, the, uh, this legion, this demon uh, three, begs uh, Jesus to be sent to a herd of pigs. They'd like to know what that all means. We don't know. We just don't know. He doesn't want to be disembodied. I, why? I don't know. We don't know. So don't even guess. But he thought it was better to go into the pigs. And begs him. Notice that he's begging. There's a lot of begging in this passage. They're going to beg him to leave town here. You'll see that again. Begging. And Jesus consents. And uh, all the pigs run down the hill. We read the text. And they go flying off the cliff into the water. And uh, Jesus heals this man, shall we say it, as easily as he calmed the sea. You know, it's not too hard. He's able, he's able. I know he's able. He says to the storm, shut up. I mean, that's the word. Shut up. And there it is. You know, oh Lord, all these demons are going to have to do a little, you know, a little dance or something here. You're going to have to do something that, you know, you're out. And there they go. And the pigs play a part in this, okay? They play a part. They were a clear demonstrator of the miracle that just happened. Out, there he goes. There they go. Oh, he, they, I guess they really did leave. And it was a, bore witness to the deliverance that Jesus just provided this man in this rather strange story in, in these events. We saw the pigs. There they went. That, that, oh, wow. Wow. Now, some people get bent all out of shape. I read William Barclay and some others that this is very unethical, that uh, Jesus killed these animals. We live in a crazy day that with 
rejecting the word, rejecting God. We don't know. God is the definer of all things. And people are not animals. And animals are not people. And there's an order of creation. And animals exist for people. A lot of people in the world don't think that. A lot of schools that uh, our kids go to don't teach that. But uh, can I say it? These are the most famous pigs in all of history. (laughs) More famous than Porky. I mean, here we are still talking about these pigs. These pigs lived and died for the glory of God. I mean, that, you know, really. And not only that, he cast them in the pig. It was the demons in the pig that caused the pigs to, the, the demons destroyed the pigs. So don't let people bother you with, oh, Jesus was very unethical in this and destroying the life of pigs. People get off on that. It's not right. Well, there's a second observation. Now the reaction. Okay, there's the miracle. And then verses 34 to 39, we see the reaction, and we're reminded that Jesus alone has the power to deliver us being spiritually oppressed. I'm reminded that not all people respond to Jesus favorably, do they? It's heartbreaking sometimes. It is. Some of you have shared the gospel with loved ones at home, and perhaps God wonderfully saved you and yeah, and you think back, and maybe more recently, and, uh, you know, uh, a dad may say, well, son, that's good for you, but I hope you get over it. Not everybody responds favorably to Jesus at this moment in time. And let me encourage you, it's not over yet. I had a father like that. And I believe God saved him right at the end of his life. And some of you have loved ones like that neighbors, and people you're, you're burdened about. I pray you have a burden for some. If you have a burden for lost people, God help you. Say, Lord, what's the matter with me? My heart is hard. I, I don't have a burden for lost people. That's why Jesus is over in Gerasene. He's reaching out to people. That's the ministry God has given us. It's a ministry of discipleship. Say, well, there's nobody for me. You better start praying. Something's not right. But they don't all respond. They don't say, yippee, I'm coming, Lord. Here I come. Now, thank the Lord, occasionally that happens. You're like, wow, it's of you, Lord. But one sows, another water, God gives the increase. That's typically the way it is. And here we see the story. First, the herdsmen, they ran to town to tell what they had seen. I bet they did. I bet they did. Number one, they were worried they were responsible for those pigs. I think they're trying to cover themselves, but to say, you can't believe what we just saw. The pigs uh, had died. They uh, you can imagine the excitement as the people in town heard about the lunatic finding religion in pigs flying. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, they come running in. Wait, you, you know, the, the people got up that day and they ate normally and went to work and they thought, this is going to be a normal day. It was not a normal day in that town. And when they heard it, they came, the, the, the text tells us they came all running out. I bet so. Always reminds me of Faithy's dad. <laughs> I, I, my father wasn't too much like that, but whenever there's a fire engine or ambulance or something, and uh, Pop would like, uh, he'd look at me like, hey, let's go find out what's happening. <laughs> Jump in the car, go follow the fire engine, find out whose house is burning down, you know. Like, okay, right there? I mean, Pop was always, uh, you do that, you do it sometimes. I go, oh, honey, please. <laughs> Leave those people alone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. If we need to know, we'll know. We're on a need-to-know basis. It'll be in the paper, maybe some. 
Bob is like, I got to go. I got to go see it. You know, I got to see what's happening. So these people here, they hear about this. They're like, we've never heard of this. They come running out. They're coming out to see what, what uh, their ambulance chaser. What's happening here? A lunatic, this lunatic finds religion? What? Pigs flying? Dead now? They came to see for themselves. And the text tells us there that, that they were angry. They were an angry, fearing mob. Wow. They didn't respond right, did they? Some people respond that. They're afraid. They're afraid what Jesus has done in their family to someone maybe save them. They're not sure. They can't explain it. They fear. It's a very common reaction. Fear. They saw the once crazy man healed now. He's clothed. The text makes a point of saying he's, he's got clothing on. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now he's hearing the word of God. That's, somebody, that's all of us, right? We could be far away doing who knows what. God forgive us. And many of you have come to know Christ. Here you are sitting and hearing uh, what I'm trying to do, the teaching of the Lord Jesus. 20 centuries later, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word. That's what's going on. Here's the church gathers to be strengthened and, and trained up for the work of the ministry. That's him. He's sitting there. He was, he was all over the cemetery, all over the country. What a change that God wrought through Jesus in the, in the God. Isn't that amazing? That's us. I'm in the picture there. Wow. I'm here to tell you not all my brothers are in church today. I pray for I pray for them most every day. I don't know that that they're saved. They're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. But you're here, and I'm here, and I pray in time God will draw them and, and many, many others to do that. In his right mind, see, his, his, his hostile mind has been changed. He's a new creation in Christ. That scared him too. They couldn't explain that. Couldn't explain it. I, I know known men through the years that were uh, gross drug addicts and sex addicts and, 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 and alcoholics, and, and God saved them. And I remember one, uh, God worked in his life, changed him so. He was a foul mouth, every, every word of his, every other was four letter. And, and uh, there he is teaching the adult Sunday school class with the eloquence. I can never forget that. Mm. Mike Evangelistes uh, uh, was a drug addict in Vietnam, flew a Cobra copter, went on LSD all the time, couldn't take it, that he was killing uh, tens and hundreds of people when they swooped down, just a bullet every foot. <clears throat> and God saved him, changed him. And people go like, what happened to him? God is in the change business, makes whole. Not only forgives us of the penalty, it makes us whole and makes us what he desired us to be. Not demented, not naked, not foul, not unruly, not unkept. In gross, uh, uh, any, a gross indignity, but he saves us. This man is all of that. Wow. It scared the crowd. And they, people don't understand, do they? They don't understand it. And it's like the touch of the master's hand. Shall I read that? Uh, this was one of Faithy's uh, father's favorite. The touch of the master's hand. It's an old one. But uh, it talks about the touch of the master's hand, and it's so beautiful. Some of you know it well. Others don't. 
but to the auctioneer with an old violin. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no. In the back, far back of the room, a gray-bearded man came forward, picked up the bow, and then wiping the dust from the old violin, he tightened up the strings. He played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now am I bid for this old violin, as he held it aloft with his bow? One thousand, one thousand, two, do I hear two? Two thousand, who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going, going, said he. And the audience cheered, but some of them cried, We just don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, "'Twas the touch of the master's hand. And many a men with life out of tune, all battered and bourboned with gin, his auction cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of portage, a glass of wine, a game, he travels on. He is going once, going twice, going, going, and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never quite understood the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. The Lord had touched this man's life and changed it, just as he has touched many of your lives and changed us for his glory only. And that's what Luke wants us to know from this. It's marvelous. Well, we see the priorities are all messed up by the townspeople. They valued money more than the soul of a man. Be careful of that. It's a warning to us again, the danger of the love of things. They love money and use people. We're to love people and use things for God's glory, aren't we? They were all bent out of shape because the pigs died, all of them. They were more concerned about bacon with their eggs. I don't think it was the bacon. I think it was the money from the herd. It was a money issue. We either love God and use money for things are eternal or we'll love money and use God like a, a uh, hot water bottle on a cold winter's night. A lot of people do that. They use God. They really love money. You can't, they're two different sources of anyway. You cannot love both. And they loved money. They loved their pigs. How about that? Wow. And so they begged Jesus to leave. How about that? That's, that's a strong word. They, they, uh, they just begged him and urged him, leave our countryside. And you know what? Jesus won't stay where he's not wanted. He won't stay. And, and many of folks that have heard the gospel and been drawn to maybe ought to trust Christ today. And right at that point. You decide in your heart. They decide, no, not today. Manana, manana, manana. Maybe another day. There's a day of salvation, and that door shuts. Jesus won't stay where he's not wanted. He won't. 
How do you like to be known as the people that kicked Jesus out of town? Isn't that something? As famous as these pigs are, these people, the Gerasenes. Yeah, yeah, we're the one. We kicked them out. We kicked them out. Always reminds me of Jonathan Edwards. You know, oftentimes they'll say of Jonathan Edwards in the, the 1700s. He's, he's one of the greatest minds ever produced by the American soil. Jonathan Edwards. I read his stuff. I have to read it ten times to even try and figure out what he's saying. <laughs> I mean, his sentences are like a paragraph long. You know, like, oh. <laughs> that was a different day, I realized. Pre-TV, right? <laughs> okay. He, he pastored his church in New England 21 years, and you know what? They showed him the door. Out. How do you like to be the congregation that kicked Jesus out? Or kicked Jonathan Edwards out? That's what they're known for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We fired him. He was such a humble man, they couldn't find a replacement. And they asked him, would you stick around until we find some?" And he did. It's amazing. He preached, and then finally when that was done, he went, he said, that's it, I'm going to go work with the Indians. And he did. He, he had a real evangelistic heart, went and won the Indians and discipled them there in Massachusetts. How do you like to be the people that known for kicking Jesus out of town? Wow. And that's recorded in the Bible. Oh, oh my. Wow. Imagine being that. I can't imagine. Well, finally, B, the restored man reacts altogether differently. Then the townspeople leave. But this man is restored and changed. His reaction is completely different, isn't it? We saw that earlier. He now begs Jesus. There's the word again, verse 3. I want to stay with you. I want to stay with you. Wow. But Jesus... Jesus had calmed the restless storm that raged within him before he was saved. And you know what? Just let me insert this. It's soon going to restore the other relationships. Maybe he had a wife that well, he was estranged from. We don't know. We just don't. Maybe children. It's when is daddy coming home? Maybe a dad or mom. Maybe, you know. A lot of years out there, deranged, demented. And as he would go home, those reconciliation among others, it's one of the wonderful things of the gospel. Wow. But Jesus, uh, um, uh, uh, let me, let me, until we come to Jesus like him, we're still out of our right, we're not in our right minds, are we? But when we come to him, he saves us and changes us. Well, what does Jesus do? Does he take him? No. In the end there, he says, go home. It reminds us there are different ministries. It's not just to hang out with him. There are different ministries. This is home missions. This is home missions. Go home and declare. It's the word keruso in Greek. It means to preach or declare or speak out. Let everybody know what God has done for you. And I see in that the mercy of God. They rejected him. Please leave our air. But the Lord, he left, a, he left a light there in that town. And I believe we're going to meet a number of these people in heaven. That when he went home, uh, back there, and shared all that Jesus did, and the Spirit of God worked, and some of them were wonderfully saved. He was merciful, those people that were saved. It's a mark of his mercy. And he goes home. You know, often going home with the news of Jesus is God's first assignment for us. Isn't that right? This is often his first assignment, to go home and tell everything that he has done for you and for me. And boy, didn't he have a testimony. Uh, didn't he? 
what a tell you say, well, I, you know, mine's not like that. You know, I hung out naked for years. <laughs> you know, I never shaved, you know. Louie, are you here today? <laughs> Louie, we got a guess. I, I think you're, I'm not sure you're Louie. You look like Louie, but just sort of. This guy didn't shave for years. Nothing. Not even a bath. Forget the bar of soap. And then he's talking about what? Uh, trying to kill himself, stronger than chains, beating up people, hanging out in the cemetery, naked, out of his mind. And then to add to the flying pigs. I mean, what a story, what a testimony. Hey, let me tell you what you and he, you know what? He did it. He was faithful. He bore witness. That's what we are. After the Lord changed our, just bear witness. Love people enough. Just, just tell them the love story, what God has done for you. And he did it. Everywhere he went. He couldn't get over. Could he get up the next day and do the same? No, his life was totally changed. God had changed him. Isn't that great? Wonderful, really. Wow. Lessons for our life will be done. Number, number one, first lesson we draw from this. We must trust Jesus for salvation and for life. For Luke tells us he's ruler here of both natural and supernatural realms. He's Lord of all. The sea, diseases, death, multiple demons. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. He's, he, we can trust him because he's able. He's God. He's God made flesh. Trust him for salvation, but more than that, trust him for life. Every day, every moment, every moment. We ought not worry. You can't add to your life an hour. You can't look after yourself anyway. You can't. See, I got it all the bases covered. No, you don't. Even a mother, my mother, I have eyes in the back of my head. I can see everything going on. You can. Trust him for salvation. Trust him for life. Number two, Jesus is the only hope we have. There's no other place. Don't go to anywhere else. Nowhere else. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get advanced a- a- academic degrees. Well, that's good if God has it for That's not your hope. I'm going to get a big bank account. That's good. That's all right in its place. That's not your hope. I'm going to have. I'm going to take my vitamins. And have good health. I'm going to be lift weights and work out. That's good in its place. That's not your hope. Hope and no. It's not another isms. That's the worship of demons, satanic counterfeit and confusion. Only Jesus. This man shows that. No one could help him. He couldn't help himself. He alone can save us and make us whole. Number three, sin destroys. The wages of sin is death. What a man sows, he reaps. I said that before. You, you essentially wear on your face your life. Do you know that? I said that. Did you catch that? You have more f- muscles in your face, the way God designed that. So if you like, look like you've been sucking on lemons for a long time, your face is going to look like you scare the kids as you get older. It's going to look like that when you're just relaxed. It's scary looking out at you. You're, you don't know the faces you make it. Right, Ken? Amen, Ken? I mean, you're looking at me, and you're looking like I'm really with you. You might be far away, but your faces are... are uh, uh, yeah, I'll keep these off. Yeah, It's scary. Sin destroys. It's downward. There is good. There is evil. When we choose evil 
there is an effect. Run from it. Flee immorality. Run from all these things. It enslaves and robs the dignity of being made in God's image. It's the opposite of what Satan will tempt. That's what he tempted Adam and Eve. Oh, God thinks you'll be just like him. Go ahead, eat. What a mess we got in because of that. Slavery, sin, death. Run from it. Number four. You must care more for people than you do for things. You must. The essence of life is is giving. Live to give. Love people. Don't live to get. God will take care of you. Work hard, be diligent, be the best at whatever God has said. But don't, it's, just not, it's just not for you. Love people. These men were not happy in that town that this man was delivered. I don't see them having a party. Hey, let's have a party. Let's get another pig. We'll have a fee- I don't see any of that. They were annoying. They couldn't explain it. They weren't happy for him. They were afraid of him before. They didn't go near him before. They tried to help him. They couldn't. They weren't happy for him. Jesus loved people. He loved this man enough to make the appointment across the stormy sea to to meet him. Let's love people. Shall we do that? Lord, help me in that. We're our brother's keeper. We are. We should be. And finally, number five, come to Jesus today. If you're not saved, come to him. He'll save you. I promise you, he will forever. Lord Jesus, what you need to do is you need to acknowledge that he's God. He's your creator. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and lost and under judgment because of that sin. There's only heaven, there's only hell. That's it. There were ten places, I tell you. I'm just the delivery guy here. If you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? It's the most important thing in all life. Most important thing. No, do that and be saved forever. Hey, God's in the change business. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad of that. And he'll finish in glory. You're going to be, you'll look better and be better than ever. I won't even recognize you. And you won't even know me. You say, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> can't believe I won't be able to believe it either. Wow. This lunatic in the graveyard, he knew that. And so should we. Let's stand and be dismissed.